Hey y'all, welcome back to Bowls with the Bard. My name is Cakes, I am your host. This week we are talking with Elizabeth Ung about Zoom theater and AAPI equity in Shakespeare. Liz is a mixed-race queer Chinese-American theater artist who was born in the cultural hubs of what was known as the Cienega, now Southern California, is originally from the Piscataway, Kanoi, and Susquehannock lands colonially known as Baltimore and Washington, D.C., and is currently residing in Honolulu, Oahu, Hawaii. One of her Shakespearean dreams is to direct Timon of Athens through the lens of a woman of color, and when they are not having an existential crisis over Asian diasporic identity in art, Liz can be found living vicariously through the pets of their friends, playing nostalgically curated RPG video games, and of course, sleeping. I am so excited to share this interview with you, but first, as always, I got a little high and Liz enjoyed some sake. We are back with Elizabeth Ung talking all things plague. Elizabeth, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit more specifically later about the production of Macbeth we both worked on, but what else did you do with your quarantine times? <laughs> um, lots of things. <laughs> Very small things like, you know, like 10 minute play festivals here and there. Um, I directed a virtual production of Man of God by Anna Oyang Munch, um, and it was performed at Strand Theatre Company. Um, and I, I technically adapted it from, you know, a stage version to virtual, which was a learning experience. Like, I was technically directing a film, uh, which is, like, not my forte, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot about um, the process and yeah and you know it's very different from stage so <laughs> I know not to you know kind of do a virtual adaptation of a stage production um, that's normally you know written for stage so um, I know with Shakespeare it's a lot more malleable to like you know put it to a virtual production um, but like if something is set like on a stage like for example a man of god takes place um, in a hotel room uh, these four Korean American um, pastor, or, or these four Korean American uh, church teenagers, um, all uh, are, are kind of in this room for the whole play. So it's understandable, like needing just one setting, hmm. and to make that setting consistent across all Zoom like rooms and like backgrounds. Like, like I was like, I understand why that's. You know, that's it's much the story can be told much more clearly but in that adaptation um I was like okay like what is something that can be sort of translated into film so the sense um like in the story spoiler mild spoilers by the way um in the story they discovered that their pastor um has put a camera in their room and so the the play deals a lot with like sexual assault and you know the, the sort of trauma that a lot of these girls have been through um with being women and you know with being korean american women so um but yeah in that sense of voyeurism and like you never know who's watching you like we um i use sort of like the 
the the cameras like their little the literal um laptop cameras as like ways like they don't really look directly at it um only if they're addressing another character but oh, okay. in the sense that like there's it's always a close-up on their face like it gives that sense of even the audience being uncomfortable watching you know teenagers like discuss about these things and trying to um process through their trauma so yeah it's uh so in that way i was like okay i'll just you know that'll be kind of that production um of it and um it was it was well received i was glad like it was yeah. <laughs> it was it was a good production and the whole cast was amazing and the production crew as well just you know everyone resonated a lot with what the play was um talking about and its themes and it's also funny and like also dark but you know it, it, it it's very uh mixed media in that sense I, I do want to be a film director um and you know it was kind of a good passion of mine as a kid a dream of mine as a kid just to be a film director um but again like directing a play over zoom is just it's a little hard it's a little difficult <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean that's like I don't think enough credit was given to how much more of a, a new medium that was in and of itself rather than mm -hmm. being an extension of like film making the way mm -hmm. we traditionally view it I I was really amazed though by like how people like you were able to get creative with using that medium and not just have it be sitting in the squares the way that so many people did it which you know it's fine and we all needed our creative outlets yeah. god knows but like it was really amazing to see people do different things with it um and it was very exciting to get to be a part of your production of Macbeth. Mm -hmm. um, you really encouraged us to do more than just sit and to find ways to get the cameras moving and to get our bodies moving and to really mm -hmm. let the audience into like the setting that we were supposedly in. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about like yeah. how you came up with the idea and like the whole process <laughs> yeah um it's been a couple of years um oh gosh two years um <laughs> i think uh so aaron uh riley who runs the strand theater company and did the um, weird sisters shakespeare society um founded that uh she uh she said hey you want to direct something i was like okay you know um and uh and so this production uh, of macbeth was done before i did man of god so this was kind of my real test in the waters of like okay what can i do to manipulate the camera and stuff like that um uh it was yeah so we were like you know three or four months into the quarantine pandemic uh, and I, I know I really resonated a lot with like the psychology of like cabin fever because I was feeling it and being like stir crazy and um, looking into like a friend recommended uh, this streaming service Shutter, and I came across this movie that was filmed entirely on Zoom called uh, Host and uh, I watched it and it was it was scary. It was, it was really scary. <laughs> it was really frightening. Um, and I remember seeing it like I had to see it in the day, like I knew I had to see it in the daytime with all the lights on just to be like, I don't freak myself out. <laughs> um, but uh, 
I was intrigued by the way they used a lot of the, the sort of, uh, you know, like the fact that like even cameras on Zoom are not as clear, you know, in terms of like quality, um, using that to sort of bring in the idea of like this unknown presence happening. And, and also the way that they don't, they don't show a lot of things as well. Like a lot of it is off camera. A lot of it, a lot of the reactions, what they're looking at is, you know, kind of right in front of them, but the audience doesn't see that. Um, and, and that remind me of like the Alfred uh, Hitchcock his sort of formula for not showing who the monster is it, it's I think mean, it's, it's it's prevalent through a lot of other films as well but I think Alfred Hitchcock really coined that term and that um that that uh technique to show like it you know the less you show of the villain or like the monster like the more the the more scary it is and so um yeah, and so uh, Aaron wanted me to direct uh, Macbeth, and I was like, okay, how do I put those two concepts together? And yeah, I just it developed out of that um, and became what it is. Um, and yeah, it was just really, I thought like the concept at the time, like it was, you know, very timely. I definitely think it would be, you know, out, it would be outdated now. <laughs> but, um, at that time, it was really a lot of a, a lot of feelings of what everyone was feeling um in terms of being isolated in terms of being um like understanding the dredge of the lull of just staying at home and just itching to go outside and itching to you know find itself and you know in the play you know there's mention of the plague or like something going around and you know that can be definitely equated to COVID so it's like perfect like we you know the dramaturgy is right there in front of us it's the current events that's happening around us um and in, in terms of it being on a college campus um I was intrigued a lot with um I don't know why actually I think it was just because of who we had with the cast um, and understanding that like a lot of us were younger. So I was like, okay, this, it's a college campus. So yeah, that was, uh, that's kind of <laughs> maybe how that concept started from awesome. a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I feel like it's going to be a very cool um, like time capsule piece to be able mm -hmm. to come back to every once in a while and be like, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's where we were. Um, it was thrilling to get to be a part of just to, mm -hmm. I, I was one of the witches and like one of the best parts of being a witch in Macbeth is that they're not in everything. So you get the opportunity to see what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. And just like, I remember the first time Sierra did the, the out damn spot scene. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. oh this is what this medium can be if yeah. you have the imagination for it that yeah. is wild and amazing so I'm I'm grateful that you had that brainchild and that you <laughs> encouraged us to play with it as much as you did um it was very exciting yeah yeah um yeah that scene in particular um yeah, I was I was really proud of just the way that came out, and especially with the like hand sanitizer, like that feeling of just you know, I, like there was a period of there's like maybe a moment of time where like I was I was being conscious of like how many times I put hand sanitizer like on my hands, and even not going outside, like 
just that itself is so relatable and you know I was glad that I was able to work with Sierra on you know in integrating something like that and um you know going into the psychology of um yeah being you know having cabin fever being inside for so long um and especially with um Bess who played um who, who played Macbeth um looking at the way that uh her character just is looking at the power play that Macbeth wanted wants to do and then also realizing this relationship that they have with Lady M is so it is so dependent on this you know virtual you know we talk about like being in zoom rooms different zoom rooms and it's an entirely virtual relationship and everyone's so close together yet so far um because we're you know we we try to make it so it's implied that they are zooming in um in different rooms but they're like in the same living quarters right so that idea of like so far yet so near um really played into into the paranoia into the um sort of like just yeah the, the paranoia and um the, the the ambition just to get outside mm. yeah mm. So. well and it's wonderful how like life reflects the art then too because I remember that period of time like rehearsal was the thing that I clung to because even mm -hmm. if we were far it did feel like oh I'm in a room with people for for 30 minutes yeah. I have a connection <laughs> like thank god <laughs> yeah 100% yeah all right uh well the next thing that I wanted to talk about um was before this pandemic hit I feel that there was a bit of a reckoning like all of these artists and like crew members and producers they maybe not the producers um but all of the people who i guess could be considered like peons in the um theater industry kind of came forward and had elements of the industry they wanted to see change with this time that theater kind of had to be shut down mm -hmm. and as we have come back I think it's become kind of evident that most of those things were not addressed. Um, and so one of my goals with this season is to use my platform to the best of my ability to give people I feel like are not represented well enough in the community that I see myself the most a part of, which is the Shakespeare community, and get into their heads about like, how can the Shakespeare community open its arms and actually be more inclusive? Because we talk about it all the time. And I actually do think Shakespeare tends to do better with like gender equality than a lot of other theater areas. I think people bend it and I've ended up working with a, a wide variety of gender identities when I have worked in Shakespeare, but basically every Shakespeare production I've ever been in has just been so, so, so white. Um, and so with you specifically, I am interested in knowing how you think the Shakespeare community could be better toward the AAPI community. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, start there. <laughs> Generally, 
Yeah, generally it could be better. Um, I think the main the main thing is accessibility um, to not just you know API communities, but to all you know non-white uh, communities of color. And um, yeah, I, I think I've been lucky enough to see you know things uh, or companies like Fools and Mad Men and um, Art Centric and even. Um, uh, Chesapeake Shakespeare Company with their um, their black ensemble to uh, to cultivate plays that are entirely entirely uh, actors uh, who are black and brown and uh, to do productions as, as simple as that and seeing that representation especially for a city like Baltimore to be you know mostly a, a black population is like super important. Um, and, um, but in terms of, you know, the API community, um, you know, we, we have a less population across the board in terms of, um, I mean, of course there are pockets. Um, for example, in Hawaii, um, it's a mostly Asian American and uh, native Hawaiian population, which gets mixed up together, um, which is the way it is. But yeah, I would say, um, but I would say in Maryland, um, aside from like, pockets of communities, it's, you know, I've seen like 8%, like it's Asian American or like 1%, like, you know, it's this and that. And so um, when theater companies, you know, put on their season, we, we see the one token Asian play, um, you know, kind of happen. Like it, once in a blue moon, it feels like it's like, oh, you know, we're here, we made it. Um, and then the next season, we don't see any other. And it's kind of like, well, I guess they dropped that ball. It's just, you know, we got to wait another three or four years before, you know, we get another play by an API playwright, <laughs> you know, and director. Um, and so, uh, and so it is scarce. It feels like every time, it, every time there is a casting call specifically for Asian American, um, you know, actors, it's like, like everyone I know in my circle is just flocking, you know, to that. It's like, okay, we, we got to stick together and support each other. And, you know, whoever makes it, makes it. And, and then of course we can go into like, you know, hiring local versus hiring somebody from New York, you know, that, that sort of thing also plays into the reason why I feel like it's so scarce to um, produce and to find API representation in place. And then for Shakespeare, it's, I would, I feel it's even, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if worse is the right word, but it's even more or less like, I, I feel I see it. Um, and what I do see in Asian American, you know, or Pacific Islander actor be in a show, they're usually like one or two, <laughs> you know, in that whole ensemble. And, and I've experienced this a lot where I've, um, I've been tokenized as like the only, and not on purpose, but like, you know, I, I look around the room and I'm like, well, I'm probably the only Asian here. And it's, um, and I'm conscious, I'm super conscious about that. Mm -hmm. And so being tokenized has been, um, has lately kind of been something I've been trying to avoid. Unfortunately, I can't because I need, I, I need a job and I need to, you know, I want to do a role. Like, understandably that's why I stay on but also kind of realizing like man I wish you know wish there was like another you know Asian person here and 
um, and then looking, kind of observing from the outside um, when I do see um, other Shakespeare or like classical adaptations happen with the one Asian token, <laughs> the token Asian person um, in it. Uh, I, I'm kind of wary of how stereotyped and how archetyped they may be. So um, a lot of when people think of like Asian American woman, they think like petite, demure, just sort of this ingenue. And they're always stuck in that kind of role. They're always stuck kind of at that because we've been in media, we've been exoticized as these, you know, very kind of shy, the, the geisha trope happens a lot um, with that, um, especially, you know, for a lot of heightened uh, things and heightened uh, stories. It's, you know, it, it's, it, we've been exoticized, orientalized, all the isms and ises, you know, that has that that kind of puts us in this box and I in, in recent years I feel like there is this responsibility to make sure I try to avoid that and um you know I also want to talk with the director um of the piece if you know if they're willing to be open um and that's the other thing is get, you know trusting the right director about that um and but you know talking with them saying okay what's a way that I can take parts of the stereotype and make it refreshing, especially if mm -hmm. I'm the only Asian American um, on the show. Um, and, you know, sometimes it gets overlooked, honestly, or like sometimes it's like, I have to figure that for myself because, um, you know, it's like we, there's a time crunch and I feel there's always more that we can explore um, with, you know, kind of being, the token um but yeah it's 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 hard out here i've yet to see an entirely asian american uh, api production um that's done in english um i mean i've seen productions that are in foreign languages you know but yeah an entire api shakespeare production has yet to <laughs> kind of come to my doorstep um especially you know living on the east coast too like in that you know, the DMV area. Um, yeah, it's rare. And also that's not Bollywood because Bollywood again is also accessible. And I've seen a Bollywood production of It's Summer Night's Dream and it's fun, it's fun. Um, but I also hear a lot of people, oh, let's do Bollywood of this. Let's do Bollywood of that. And I'm like, well, you know, Bollywood isn't the only, you know, very heightened fantastical um, thing that we can work with, but. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah, again, I get to see an entirely API production happen, so. Yeah, yeah, I think the closest thing I could think of would be the Richard three we were supposed to do, mm -hmm. and uh, that didn't happen, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Womp. Even then, like, the puppeteers were. Yeah, you know, no, I, I agree. I was like, why are we, like, essentially all white people getting taught like like it, yeah, it, it was it was cool yeah. but like this is not ours to be taught I I felt especially yeah, I feel, in hindsight yeah, I feel like even that like can be taught there you know, to others of course um but um it, it, it is weird too especially um you know I, I believe there's one other uh, black actor part of the puppetry ensemble mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but even that you know 
being in a space, um, you know, as a non-white or non-Asian person of color, like doing that and then being masked, you know, like kind of being covered and kind of, yeah, that gets complicated with like, okay, like, you know, I'm in this play, like in this space with uh, other people of color that are not my ethnicity and it becomes, it becomes weird. Um, And, you know, I've, I've been in that situation too, where it's like, yeah, like, um, yeah, I'm a person of color, but yeah, I don't really identify, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm ethnically Chinese, but like, if I'm doing an all Korean play, it's like, yeah, there's also things where that, that line is kind of drawn in terms of my general knowledge of, you know, what it means to be in that space. So yeah, it's, it's really tricky. Um, and um, yeah, I'm sad, I'm, I'm sad that production didn't go up, but you know, there are things that also could have been improved, um, such as having an Asian American director, I yes. think is the yes. most important. And, you know, an Asian American director that hires locally is also important <laughs> and not just bring in, you know, people from California or New York. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if we were to see an API, you know, Shakespeare, you know, just, yeah, I, you know, if I was asked to be part of that, like, those are my guidelines just to, yeah, just to be with an Asian American director and, um, yeah, and with that consciousness of it being, this is all API people, yeah. (laughs) I feel like extra bonus if that's coming from an equity level that's actually going to pay you a living wage to do it, too. Yeah, that too, yeah, like, all levels of theater, honestly, it's like, you know, it's got to happen at all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I, I see it like every once in a while happen in some of the smaller spaces, people being conscious. And actually now this year, like I I'm excited to see Midsummer at the Folger. I I like that cast. I was like, okay, this reflects DC. Like I'm excited to see that, but I feel like for whatever reason, in this city, shockingly, like the equity Shakespeare seems behind on that more so than the non-ec. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it'd be nice if they they paid more yeah. BIPOC <laughs> actors in general to do Shakespeare. Yeah, 100%. I'd, I'd pay good money to see that thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we've got a long way. Um, yeah. Because it also starts with, again, you know, <laughs> like the one, yeah, going back to what I said, like, you know, seeing the one Asian play of the season, like that it's, that in itself is so like, yeah, that needs to also improve. So that's a consistent effort to showcase, you know, <laughs> different Asian playwrights because there are tons of them out there. Um, and the more exposure, you know, that gets, you know, for people, then the more it's like people, you know, understand like, oh, like they exist, like we exist around here. So like even starting, um, so I was, I'm part of an organization, um, Asian Pacific Arts Collective, which started in Baltimore um, a couple of years ago. Like it, it was like a weird thing where everyone's like, oh, like we were here this whole time. Like there are other Asian American like actors here this whole time. Like it's like, duh, of course. It's just, you know, again, the exposure, the the sort of yeah just the the consciousness of like yeah like of course we're here we just haven't connected until now so um yeah some you know my hope is that especially for the um 
DC and Baltimore area that you know, more more consciousness and awareness of of us is a uh, consistent and made more like we can do more than just you know being the token and all that stuff so um here like I'm living in Hawaii so here it's like they're they, we're everywhere so I feel like I'm at home like that's fine but um you know for my hometown I think um there definitely could be more improvement yeah yeah I agree and I guess thinking about that and looking forward to the hopeful future what Shakespeare plays roles would you be interested in seeing with like an AAPI influence a Chinese American influence like yeah. what have you it could be endless um yeah uh <laughs> I feel like there's a lot um because there are roles I also like I would love to play um like my my dream bucket roll list is Timon of Athens Ooh, okay. um, and I tell everyone this like that's like I use that monologue all the time and I was like oh Timon that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure it is and um and I saw the fabulous production um at Shakespeare Theater before the pandemic <laughs> happened um Catherine Johnson in the title role oh, like mm -hmm. that was that was beautiful and I feel um I've yet to see a um, kind of proper production of Timon with a woman of color in that title role, because there there's a lot of layers when you see that representation of like a woman of color being Timon, like in this position of privilege. And then what happens when that is taken away, you become a marginalized identity all of a sudden, like, like, oh, like that, that production, I would in a heartbeat, like be part of. Um, and, and play, of course. Um, yeah, um, but I, yeah, and I thought a lot about um, what are some, what are some more grounded uh, representations? Um, so, you know, we think like, you know, things like Hyogen and like no performance and Kabuki, things like that, like, could fit within a lot of the fantasy, you know, Shakespeare. Definitely. Like, summer, I guess. Um, the Tempest, things like that. I feel with the right director and the right budget, you know, like I feel that could be a celebration of in itself. Um, but I also think about the um, the groundedness of some other Shakespeare's, for example, um, King Lear. There's sort of the, um, a lot of this issue, especially with a lot of Chinatowns with uh, elder, elderly abuse and um, caring for elderly. Um, you know, in, in a lot of um, Asian culture, East Asian culture, you know, respect for the elderly is like a prominent thing. And, you know, worshiping our ancestors is a prominent thing. So, putting King Lear in the context of like a family, like an Asian American family um, with King Lear as this very elderly old man, you know, um, I think could be compelling. And, you know, we put this context of, you know, an Asian American family into King Lear and understanding, um, you know, not only the way that, you know, elders are being treated like in contemporary times, but this idea of, uh, you know, American living versus like the traditional you know, immigrants experience and the living that they had in Asia and like whatever ethnicity country they come from, um, I think could be a very compelling piece. And, 
could highlight that issue as well um, and make it unique. So it's like not just only relatable, but also like saying, oh, like, you know, that's a, you know, that's a problem within my community that's, you know, being highlighted and, you know, putting in this context of a classical piece, like, <laughs> that's so dope. Um, so I feel like something like that could be really cool. Um, I also think of um, Othello and that story and mm -hmm. knowing that Othello, you know, will always be played by a black or brown person. Um, but also if that was done like with entirely Asian American cast, uh, looking into colorism and how a lot of, uh, especially a lot of East Asian um, representation is this lighter skinned uh, you know, preferred look. And, you know, I'm part of that privilege where I do have light skin, um, but also knowing like a lot of Southeast Asian um, representation, you know, they can be part of that story too. And understanding that, you know, darker skinned Asians are Asians, like it, it's, it's fascinating to kind of hear, especially from a lot of East Asians that they don't see Southeast Asians as Asian or like part of their diaspora. So, um, you know, doing a production of Othello where Othello is played by a brown skinned Asian would be, would be intriguing, would be interesting. Um, obviously, you know, <laughs> fleshing out all the dramaturgy and, you know, all those themes would, would come first. Um, but yeah, I think that would also highlight an issue or highlight, um, you know, that, that sort of thing that, that happens in our community. Um, it's not like, I wouldn't say it's like a staple. It shouldn't be a staple of our community, but it highlights something that happens in our community that maybe not many people know about. Um, so I, I would be down for that kind of production. Um, so yeah, overall, just looking at, um, you know, grounded productions of Shakespeare, um, away from like, you know, again, the fantastical, like as cool as they are, you know, again, Kabuki, Chinese theater, like I, I like those too, um, but also the other side of that, uh, which is a grounded perspective um, for uh, Asian American representation. I really, really love that. I, I feel like the more I go and see Shakespeare produced and directed mostly by white people, I see a lot of like asking the question, what can we put on this? Like what era can we put it in? What can it like, but like, I love that you're thinking more along the lines of like, what can we say with this? Um, and I feel like asking those questions and putting communities like yours on stage in those plays, like, is a much better justification for continuing to do them 400 years later when there are people we could be paying money to do their plays instead mm -hmm. like then you know all of the tons and tons of money I'm sure we spend putting up like regurgitations of a Midsummer Night's Dream yeah, um, yeah. So, which <laughs> have value in and of themselves but like maybe a little bit less than what you are offering yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, and it, it's also this idea of, um, again, putting us on the spot of being exoticized. Um, I know a lot of Shakespeare's texts, you know, they, they stereotype France, like places like France and, 
it lends itself to the exoticism of like, you know, Othello and like um, the uh, Prince of Morocco, things like, like you know, characters mm -hmm. and stories and concepts like that. So, um, yeah, so that's where, you know, a lot of directors kind of go towards and say, okay, let's, let's heighten this so it isn't as serious. But I think, you know, Shakespeare can be treated, should be treated as seriously, you know, if done right. Um, and even knowing that, you know, Shakespeare himself or themselves, I don't know, Shakespeare, I think is a collective of people. Um, that's a whole other story. Um, but, um, you know, like Shakespeare um, himself is like, you know, has its own has his own uh prejudices and you know things he may have had to write you know because the church of england said so and mm -hmm. you know the monarchy said so so understanding those limitations um kind of you know lends itself to the privileges and oppressions that happen within his texts um but we can you know and, and what we should do with adaptations is unravel that um acknowledge it of course definitely acknowledge it and then spin it to something that is um relatable and something that is a reflection of um real life hell yeah well i think that's a great place to wrap up yeah. um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on i've wanted to have you on for the longest time Aww, so i you. really really appreciate it if you enjoyed today's episode you can follow both liz and bulls with the bard at the handles either on your screen or in the episode description and tune in next week as we talk with steph craniola about the protest too much podcast and women of all body types in shakespeare until then bye y'all a thousand thousand sides to save oh lay me where sad true lover never find my grave to weep there <laughs>